The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equal Security. This is the newscast for episode 34 on September 25th. Uh, this is Rob Reck, and I am in the studio here with Alex Wood. Alex, how are you doing this evening? You know, I'm doing pretty well, Rob. Uh, spent some time down in Colorado Springs today. Uh, drove up to the top of Pikes Peak with my folks. That was fun. Was it Was it really cold up there? It was pretty cold, yeah. Um, <laughs> we actually were almost all the way up and had to double back because we couldn't get to the top. And then they opened it and the, because there had been a lot of snow yesterday. You know, Obviously, it was raining down here. It was snowing yeah, up yeah. on the top of Pikes Peak. Um, so made it up to the top. Pretty snowy, pretty cold, uh, but it was fun anyway. Well, good stuff. We have an exciting week of really full week coming up here. Uh, Security Advisor Alliance stuff we'll get into in the events I'm looking forward to. Uh, but let's go ahead and jump into the news first. Before we do, just a reminder for folks to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play. Help help us get those automatic downloads. It's good for us, good for you, we hope. Uh, rate the app in your favorite store in iTunes or Google Play and, and give us a review. We'd appreciate that. And let's go ahead and get into the news. So the first story we had today, uh, up in Loveland, there was a, a woman impersonating a potential mayoral candidate. So th- this isn't a uh, cybersecurity story, just a, a good old-fashioned physical security story. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, she's been walking around basically, number one, it's kind of strange. She's a supporter of the candidate. Yeah. And she's going around and telling people she is the candidate. Um, but apparently she's not breaking any laws. So the cops aren't going to do anything about it. Yeah, it's... Uh, it reminded me a lot of what happens in cyberspace these days. People pretend to be other people, walk around saying things, you know, setting up Twitter accounts and yeah. whatever it might be. Um, I think we always have to remember that this stuff goes back to the, the physical world. Yeah. The physical world t- tends to, to mirror the, the cyber world. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So we've been talking a lot about Amazon maybe bringing a second headquarters to Denver. Well, that's a maybe, but for sure, Google has just invested a pretty huge chunk of money up in Boulder where they bought a... Uh, 200,000 square foot office complex for about $130 million. There's going to be about 2,000 employees here on this new building. Yeah. And this is um, this is essentially the place where they've been building out. I think that the big difference here is that they originally they were planning to lease the space and then decided it was probably more advantageous for them to just buy it outright instead of leasing it from a property management company. Uh, I, I did note that in the article, there was the ability for them to build one additional building right beyond what they already have in place. So it's a good sign that, that they're financially committed to, to Boulder and with the potential of building out even more than they already have. So that end up, could be another 1,000 employees up there, it looks like, from the size of the buildings. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there was an article um, on called Cryptocurrency Draws Scrutiny in Colorado. State's securities regulator sounds a warning. So the, um, the regulators in Colorado are taking a look at cryptocurrency and essentially I think more specifically at initial coin offerings, which are becoming pretty popular. Yeah. Uh, so basically, you know, as a business is starting up, instead of doing an IPO, they're doing an ICO where they're offering some sort of cryptocurrency. Uh, and depending on what, you know, what the ICO is on, you, you may get something for it. You may not get anything right. for it. Um, but, you know, regulators are saying, well, you know, if you're getting a part of the company, then this needs to, to function like a security and we're going to have to regulate you. So I will say... It is different in that they're not getting a part of the company generally in an ICO. Um, they're getting a a piece of imaginary something exactly. that, that may get value over time. Um, and that's why they've been able to kind of skate around the IPO rules in the past. But the SEC says these ICOs are now going to be going to have to play by SEC rules. That's going to be interesting going forward. Yeah, and I, I would definitely check out that article. It was pretty in-depth, lots of stuff in there. 
but it is behind a paywall, which yeah. is which is a bummer. We ended up breaking down and paying for the Denver Business Journal subscription. So if you need some insights, uh, send us a note at info at colorado-security.com. Uh, next article is actually from the Colorado Springs Business Journal, which I think is the first time we've covered uh, a story from down there. Uh, manufacturers prepare to battle rogue robots. This is basically the coming of uh, all of our dystopian novels, right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, robots coming to get us. Is an article talking about how you know industrial robots, um, just like other um, you know internet connected devices, potentially there could be harm that comes from them. People take over robots, either shut them down and you can't use them. Um, use them outside the bounds of what they were originally intended for could cause physical harm, other things like that. One of the friends of the show, Sean Murray, who is uh, down in the Springs and on the ISSA international board uh, is quoted throughout the article and, and, you know, definitely has some good advice for manufacturers who all too frequently are just not up to speed on their security hygiene. Yeah. I definitely want to make sure that you secure your internet of things devices, especially if they can cause bodily harm to people. Yeah. Uh, next, Coalfire Coal appoints a new CFO, Michael Chow. Uh, I don't know Michael, but... Uh, I don't know Michael either. He was the CFO at Keypoint Government Solutions previously and at Vail Resorts uh, previous to that. So he's been around Denver uh, a little bit. He Then he also worked at Famous Brands, eBay, and KPMG. Nice. It's a good history. Good for Coalfire. Yeah. It's nice to see a new uh, new leadership there. Uh, IntelliSecure... Hey, they've launched some new managed security services offerings this week to help uh, mid-sized enterprise protect critical data. Yeah, so this is a neat one. You know, generally speaking, you know, insider baseball here, most security vendors and security solutions providers are really focused focused on selling into the enterprise because there's just a lot more money to, to make selling into large enterprises. This is a neat new offering from IntelliSecure, kind of bringing DLP, their, you know, their critical asset protection, which we talked about a lot a couple episodes ago. Um, bringing that into the SMB market and really giving, you know, an affordable entry point to get control over that data as it resides in your network and as it leaves the network. Yeah. I think that there's really a a ripe opportunity for, for many companies in that SMB space, um, especially for, you know, the sort of the the bigger size of of SMB. Yeah. And as a reminder, IntelliSecure is hiring a director of security in GRC right now, kind of their security leader role. Um, I believe this is an up and coming company and, and someone to be good to hit your wagon to. Uh, so look at, look at that and send us a note if you need an introduction over there. Uh, CyberGRX, who we've talked about a couple times, they've partnered with BitSight to address supply chain risks. This is interesting because this article wasn't Colorado focused, right? This is a, a national article that was really hitting on one of our up and coming security companies here in town. Uh, and, and really what it does is, is CyberGRX is a platform that enterprises can use um, to have insight into the vulner to, to the security posture of lots of different vendors of theirs, and that and there's other ways that can be filled in, uh, and they're augmenting that platform with the BitSight info, which is kind of a little bit like a credit score for a security posture of an organization. Yeah, one of the things that they mentioned in there was that uh, you know BitSight sort of gives an external rating; they're looking at external data, whereas CyberGRX is actually doing an internal assessment. Yeah. They're trying to standardize those uh, the questionnaires and the other ways to to get that internal assessment. But now you could get the the internal and external assessment. Yeah. The other thing that I thought was interesting is uh, CyberGRX had previously. Um, they had a similar capability. So I'm not sure exactly what happened with that capability. I don't know if they just decided that it's it's easier to to partner with BitSight, yeah. uh, who has a much, probably a much more mature um, practice in that area. Um, but I think it is a, a definitely an interesting idea for them to come together so you can have that holistic view of a, a potential third party. Yeah, agreed. Uh, and then finally, 
uh, Ping had a, a blog this week about uh, multi-factor authentication and the security of iPhone's Face ID. So the iPhone 10 came out. Um, well, it's not technically out till November, but it was announced. Um, and one of the things that was announced on it was they were getting rid of the home button and touch ID and instead mm-hmm. using Face ID to do authentication. So yep. this this article talks a little bit about uh, biometric authentication, you know, how it is that they are potentially doing it with Face ID and, and whether or not they think it's a good idea. Yeah, There's a lot of interesting stuff. So the guy who wrote it, David Waite, is a fantastic guy here in Denver, very, uh, very smart security guy and knows iOS inside and out. Um, what I hadn't realized initially right after the announcement was that as they added Face ID, they were getting rid of the ability to use Touch ID. Uh, and and it, you might see out on the web, there's a few different places that show kind of the comparison, uh, not to say which is better, Touch ID or, or Face ID or a password, but what's the difference? And when would you want to use one rather than the other? Um, and and it's, it's really clear to me that, you know, Face ID is not going to be for everyone. It's, it's going to be a subset of people who would rather ha- look at it and have it, you know, the integrated use case versus touching it. Um, and, and I'm I'm going to be interested to see how popular this is and and does it you know does it ever take the place of Touch ID or is it going to be hey I'm going to buy my phone based on which one I prefer Yeah well and I think one of the things that I had heard was that Apple was trying to get Touch ID to work without the dedicated um, home button so yeah. if they could have gotten that to work through the screen they would have done that so think- maybe in the iPhone 11 maybe they'll have both yeah. So another interesting thing I thought from this this article was. Um, that with Touch ID, there is a false positive rate of about 1 in 50,000, which sounds like a pretty small false positive rate to me. Um, and then but what, for Face ID, it's one out of every million. So right. significantly higher assurance that they're have that they not going to have someone getting through um, positive or who shouldn't get through. Uh, and it's, it's basically there's like seven different factors that they use for this. Anyway, really good blog post. Take a look at it if you want to learn a little bit about how that works. Uh, so that's all the news that we have. Um, before we move on to the events, uh, just a reminder that we have a store. So if you haven't bought your Colorado Equals Security merchandise, you should go out and check that out. We have a link on the website. Buy t-shirts, buy uh, buy your kids' onesies, buy some stickers for your car, whatever it might be. Go go check it out and buy some stuff there. And, and we also on the website have an event calendar. And I'll tell you that every week as I go fill in the calendar, uh, I'm amazed. And I'll, I'll, we filled out a ton of events coming up through the end of the year, all the way out into to December right now. Um, so a lot of stuff coming up. Go ahead and sync this up with your calendar and see what it is you want to attend through the rest of the year. So first on the calendar for this week, uh, Denver Startup Week. Tomorrow morning, uh, there is a cybersecurity compliance and security panel. Um, that is, uh, I should probably know this. It's at nine thirty. I or oh, 10, it's a 10, 10 yeah. to 1130. Um, we have to be there at nine 30. Rob and I are participating in this panel. Uh, so if you want to come to, to startup week and listen to us talk about uh, security compliance for startups, you can do that. Uh, and on, uh, the actually all week long is sands Rocky mountain and, and fall. And that's a, that's a conference with training. I don't know if you haven't signed up yet. It's probably too late, but maybe swing by and say hi. And maybe you can go next time. The 26th and 27th, the CISO Advisor Alliance is having their leadership summit. That is the uh, Weston and Westminster. Um, that is a uh, for there's a cost for that conference, um, and obviously it's focused on you know CISOs and security leaders. But I would bet if you are local and haven't signed up yet, you could probably finagle your way in. Uh, on the 27th, NCC has their cyber healthcare exercise. Uh, also on the 27th. There at Denver Startup Week is the Security Founders Panel, which Rob is moderating. Yeah, and we're going to have uh, the founders from several different companies, ProtectWise, CyberGRX, uh, Red Canary, Swimlane. I feel like there might be one more. 
Um, but it should be a really good time to get to meet some of the local founders here. On the 2nd of October, uh, Densec has their South Meetup. It'll be at a bar. Check it out on Twitter. On October 3rd through 5th, Conversant uh, is having their Converge 17 conference, which is a business ethics uh, training conference. Yep. Uh, also on the, the third through fifth vector eight has their threat hunting and advanced analytics course. That one looks really cool. Technical in nature. Uh, on the fifth, uh, ISSA Colorado Springs has a professional networking event. And then finally on the sixth, this is a new event that I just came across this week. Coalfire has a high trust community extension program. There's not a lot of details in the press release that, that mentions this. Um, but I, you know, take a look, maybe reach out to Coalfire if you want to go. And as I find more details, we'll get it on the calendar. Sounds good. So let's jump over into jobs. So do you remember, you know, was it three months ago? We had Matt Sharp as a co-host on the show, but right before he left town to go move to New York city and become the CISO for logic works. Well, Matt is back. Well, at least he's sort back, of, sort of, kind of. He's hiring a senior cloud security engineer here in Denver. Uh, this position looks pretty cool. They're it's located at the the WeWork uh, building over by Union Station, and it's really working heavily on AWS security and some other cool clouds DevOpsy stuff. Uh, Vertella, they are hiring a director of systems security. Comcast is hiring a security operations center manager. A uh, peg rate is hiring a security solutions consultant. Great West Financial is hiring a principal security engineer. Uh, Catholic Health Initiatives is hiring an enterprise security architect. NREL, which is what, the National Renewable Energy Laboratory? They're hiring a smart homes application developer. That sounds pretty pretty fun. Yeah, that was not a direct security job, but they had some security mentions um, in the job description. So, but yeah, developing stuff for smart homes. Yeah. That sounds pretty cool. Please do it well though. Yeah. Uh, Veritas is hiring a DDoS security engineer. Do you know Veritas? I don't know. Veritas. I don't know Veritas either. I'm, I'm guessing that they do something around DDoS protection. Uh, well, that, or maybe data center stuff. I, I don't be. know. Interesting. Uh, Alchemy security. Jobo's company is hiring a cybersecurity junior analyst intern. Uh, and then the job title with the, the longest title um, Charles Schwab is hiring the 2018 Schwab Intern Academy Vendor Technology Risk Management Intern for Information Security Risk Management. Yeah, so that's a heck of a business card. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, especially if you're uh, young enough to be an intern, uh, you would probably want to sign up for this so that you can put those 27 words on your business, yeah. uh, your resume saying that you uh, had this position at Charles Schwab. Uh, very cool. Well, that's the end of the jobs right here. Um, we're we're going to go over the feature interview, which is you sitting down with Matt Alderman. Matt is a Colorado guy um, who, who right now I think is a kind of international man of mystery. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, he's doing some advising for a couple companies, um, I believe, including Automox, which is out of Boulder. Uh, but he also is, is doing his own thing. Um, doing uh, strategy development. He was previously uh, with uh, Tenable Networks. Mm -hmm. So doing their, their strategy there. Um, Acuvant as well. He spent some time at Acuvant, uh, spent some time at his own company, which did some GRC solutions. So uh, great talk with Matt, uh, really interesting stuff. Uh, we talked a little bit about project or uh, product management, a uh, number of other things, but I, I like Matt a lot and it was a good interview. All right. Well, that'll be it for this week. Hopefully we'll see you guys at one of the, the Denver Startup Week events. Otherwise, hopefully we'll hear you next week. All right, guys. Thanks, Rob. Hey, this is James Carter, CISO at Logarithm. This is Colorado Equals Security for Colorado Security Professionals by Colorado Security Professionals.
Hey, this is Alex Wood, and I am here with Matt Alderman. Um, Matt is a, a long-time vet in the security industry, been around a long time. Um, I've known Matt for, I don't know, probably 10 years. Probably, um, yeah. Just from being around Denver and you know coming to speak at, at ISSA meetings and things like that here. Um, Matt, I guess I'll just turn it over to you for a second to introduce yourself, um, you know, where you've been, how you started, and, and what you're doing now. Yeah, thanks, Alex. Um, it's funny because, you know, we've known each other for a while, but I don't spend a lot of time in Colorado yeah. because I've worked for companies outside of Colorado on the East Coast or West Coast. So it, it's always interesting to, like, connect the dots of, of like, the local community. But, um, yeah, so I got here in 2004. So, you know, before that, I was in Ohio, uh, in Cleveland. And I started doing security in 96. When I left nuclear power, I worked in nuclear power for a number of years and decided to leave nuclear power and started consulting. And my first project back in 96 was antivirus. That was right around the time of SQL Slammer and everybody was yeah. you know freaking out about viruses. So my, I remember my first project was uh, at National Citibank, which is now part of PNC, replace McAfee antivirus with Symantec, I think, because they did a better job of protecting it. Anyways, and, and that turned into then firewall work with Checkpoint and then Cisco. And so I consulted in Cleveland for a, for a number of years in and around security, compliance. Uh, I did a lot of uh, third-party vendor management work for National City uh, later in my career in, in Ohio, running their third-party vendor management program. And, and that's kind of how I got to Colorado. Uh, in 2004, we had already owned land in Colorado. We, my wife and I and the family really loved the area, and so in 97 we bought land, and we just we didn't know when we were coming. And in 2004, I was doing I had my own consulting firm in in Cleveland, and my mother-in-law retired, and she said we're ready to go. I'm like, okay, so we literally it's time. yeah, it's time to go, and so we literally packed two truckloads. Uh, two houses on a truck and sent it west and my wife's like well what's your job going to be I'm like well I'm still consulting and I can do it remotely I'm, I'm okay so I just you know came out west and I eventually ended up merging my consulting practice into Acuvon back in 04 and I built out their original um, compliance services practice nice back in 2004 and the vision was compliance was a driver for security the Acuvant guys were really good at security, but somebody who understood compliance and the compliance drivers was something they thought they needed. And, and they thought they needed it from a services and product perspective, not necessarily to build product. And you know, one of the things I had in the back of my mind from all the work that I had done at National City in third-party vendor management was the ability to build some sort of tool to manage the assessment process, the remediation workflows, et cetera, et cetera. And Acuvant's like, ah, we don't know if we want to be in the product game. And literally, I, I think I merged everything in in August of 04, when we, right after we got here. And by September, we had landed our first consulting engagement, and the customer came to us and said, I don't have enough people. Can you build right. me a product? Right. That's great. Now now do the stuff that you were talking about for doing all the remediation. And yeah, exactly. And so... Within two months of getting an Acuvant, we started building a product that we thought we should build, but we weren't quite sure if we would ever build it. And, and so what ended up happening was 
we built out this um, software product internally. We called it AccuCert, and then in '06, Scott Walker and Dan Wood and and the founders and I sat down. And we said we really should spin it out, not keep it as part of Acuvon. At that time, Acuvon didn't really want to be a product company. They wanted to be a reseller services company, and they still primarily are. And so we decided we'd spin it out, and that's when we spun out Control Path here locally. And so I took. Uh, a good chunk of the original team I had hired in the compliance service practice opened an office down here in the tech center and we started building out control path and we were competing with you know um, Archer and RSAM and Agilience and all those guys at the time in the really early days of GRC and ran that through 08 here locally and then when Acuvant got the first private equity deal um, they were our primary funding source. And so we ended up selling the business in 08 to Trustwave. It was between Qualys and Trustwave. And the decision I made was get everybody employed. So we ended up going Trustwave. And, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. It was the wrong decision. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, eventually, I took my engineering team and I went to Qualys, where we did a lot of work on their policy compliance module, the cloud platform, um, enhancements to their questionnaire and PCI stuff. That was a lot of the work that we did when we went to Qualys in uh, 09 to 12. Um, I left there, I went to Archer, I got a great opportunity to go do some strategy and work at Archer. You know, I competed with them for almost five and a half years in yeah. the GRC space. So to go to RSA under the Archer brand and do some stuff on the Archer team was really, really fun. Does that product that you sold to Trustwave, does it still exist in some capacity? Or it exists. Or did just die on the vine somewhere? No, um, the majority of it died on the vine. The broader GRC vision behind what Control Path was built to do died. The pieces that remained were all PCI focus, so the report on compliance. What Trustwave really wanted the product to do was to help automate the generation of the report on compliance. And so they used the questionnaire functionality and the evidence collection pieces really to build out the rock. And that I still think exists within their portfolio, but the rest of the stuff we did with third-party vendor management and the broader regulatory compliance stuff, I think all that got shelved. I don't think any of that exists anywhere anymore. And then from Archer, I went to Tenable, where I was up until April running strategy for, for the Archer team, or for Tenable, uh, which was kind of fun. So, Yeah, how was that? It, it, you know, I love, so the early days of Tenable were just fantastic. And if you think about where they were, I'll, I'll tell a story um, that I've, I've told a few people when I left RSA. And, but the, the early days were really, really fun because Tenable was in a very interesting position. They'd only taken a, would they take a $50 million A round from Excel, uh, like in 14, 15, something like that. And they were looking to expand out the executive team and really put them on the next level of growth. You had all three founders, Ron Gula, Jack Hufford, Renaud Derson, uh, all still fully in control of the company, which I thought was great. And really this desire to bring in people to go. And so when, when the opportunity came up, I was intrigued. Uh, and so I decided to go. And when I resigned, I, Art Coviello called me. He, Art was running RSA at the time, and he said, he said, I don't want you to go. I said, I know, but I said, I got to go. I said, the opportunity is great. And he goes, but I don't understand why Tenable. He goes, why not Qualys or Rapid7? 
And I said, Art, I said, I was already at Qualys. Rapid Seven's not asking. And I said, I think Tenable's in a very interesting spot to disrupt the VM space. They got money. They've then they they can be disruptive. They're not public yet. Right. They can do some stuff. And I, I can tell you the when I got there in in um, late fourteen, we we really started to move some stuff in the right direction for Tenable to the point to where they are today. Um, and what's more interesting is that Amit Yuran, who replaced our Cobiello at RSA, is now running Tenable as a CEO. And so when I saw Art last year at RSA, I said, so what do you think about that Tenable now that, that uh, Amit's <laughs> overrunning the ship? He goes, I never saw it. Never saw it coming. But it, you know, the early days were just fantastic. We really made a lot of progress in the cloud platform. Um, Tenable has some very interesting capabilities in the VM space that the other two major players don't have. It really puts them in a unique position. Um, so it, I had a great time there. But after the, some of the changes with the, the Series B round from Insight, changes at the board, Ron's departure, you know, me coming on and putting his executive team in, I didn't feel I could make the same sort of impact anymore. So that's yeah. in April when I decided to time leave. To do yeah, it's time to go find something else to do. Yeah. It seems like the common theme in all this stuff, though, is that you really, for most of your career, have been working on, on product. So you, you've had a you've had a cool idea, um, or you've come into uh, to a company that has a cool idea, and you've really tried to work on those products and be a product manager manager or uh, or work on the strategy around those products. So I think that's something that, that most times we don't really think about in security. It, it's really more of a it could be anything a general product, uh, but you know we're dealing obviously in security. So well, you know what is it for you that 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 you do as a product manager, because uh, I think a lot of people probably don't know, and then, you know, what is it that that you have seen that is makes you a successful product manager? Yeah, you know, at first, I didn't think I was a product manager for the longest time, right? I mean, way back in my early career when I was at in Nuclear Power, we were writing what we called tech specs. We were basically writing PRDs back then. We were writing the requirements to build software. But somebody else is doing the work. When you're in a vendor, Right, so Control Path and Qualys and RSA and Tenable. It's similar, but the roles are a little bit reversed in that you're now defining the requirements of, of what the product needs to be. And there's two, there's a couple different trains of thought about how products get developed, right? Most startups have this great idea. Technology is really, really cool. But the question is, does it solve a problem that people are trying to solve? Does right. it provide value to the customer? Because what we see a lot in security, I think, is really, really cool products, but do they really solve a problem? Do they really provide value to the buyer? And if they don't, then you could see these really great technologies just kind of fizzle out. Right. And so I think the magic with product management is the tie to the value proposition, which is a tie to marketing in some respects, right? So if you think about a traditional organization, they'll have maybe a chief product officer responsible for engineering, product management, maybe product marketing. And then you have marketing responsible for corporate marketing and uh, go-to-market and field and all this other stuff. To do it really, really well, the two, the two teams really have to have a good alignment. And I think that's where 
a lot of security companies and maybe even technology companies in general struggle a little bit is you got a really cool technology that you think is just awesome. And then marketing is trying to go out and figure out what problem that thing solves. And maybe they find a way to solve the problem differently or uniquely, but then they have to convince product to actually build it that way, right? And so there's this very interesting connection between marketing and product that have to get really, really aligned to do it well. And I've had, luckily, when I was at Archer, I spent a lot of time uh, not only on the product strategy side, but on the marketing messaging side. So I got to learn a lot about value and how you drive value and then how does that articulate into product roadmaps. And so a lot of the consulting work I've been doing since I left Tenable is this alignment of what's the company vision? What is your what is that message you want to take to the market? Where is your strength? Where is your what I call value proposition? And then align that to your roadmap of well how do you then develop and drive a roadmap that enhances that message to the market? so that people continue to adopt and buy your technology. And that's a interesting balance that I don't think every company's figured out yet. Yeah, and I mean, one of the other things I think that plays in, into it too is things like usability um, and, and other things like that that are part of the value proposition but are not necessarily directly related to the problem you're trying to solve. It, it, right. it, it's about how easy it is to use the product to solve those problems. Yeah, a lot of people think ease of use is a value it's a feature, more yeah. or less. Um, it helps with adoption, but just because you have a really easy to use interface or product doesn't mean it's still solving the problem. And it's that products are built to solve problems that customers have. And if you can't articulate that well and you can't prove to them that there's value in what you do to solve that problem, they're not gonna buy. Right. That And that is a, a disconnect most people don't have. Then what you see from a product perspective is Customer focus or market focus, right? Um, and that's the other interesting part of technology. In a, in a highly agile world that we are today, some product managers and chief product officers will think everything has to be vetted and validated by a customer. And I think that works really well when you're doing a B2C type business where you're selling to consumers where the, the consumer is the buyer, right? And so customer validation is very important in that particular case because they're also the buyer. But in B2B, it's not necessarily the same because the people who are using the product may not be the ones that are actually buying the product or that you have to go get budget from. Right, exactly. Right? And so sometimes you need to do some market validation outside of the customer and really understand the trends of the market and where the market's going so that you can balance between what the customer thinks they want and what the customer, what the market is really going to require them to need in the future. And that's an interesting balance in a B2B play that also impacts product management because you can't just be 100% focused on the customer. Sometimes you have to be thought leading. You have to understand those broader trends so that you're building a product that the market eventually requires. And, and so those are all always interesting balances. Yeah, I do tend to see a disconnect a lot between the folks that are using the product you know, you're mostly your technical folks, um, and then the you know your executives or other folks that are going to be the ones probably that are buying the product because you know the technical folks see oh this is something that's really cool, um, it may be able to help me in my day to day job, um, or maybe it's just cool, right? Um, and, but then it's hard it's often hard for them to articulate back to the the executive folks 
hey, why to buy? Why to buy? What's what's the actual value that the business is going to see to this? Um, see from this, not just you know what's the value to me as an individual contributor. Right. Exactly. And that that's that value proposition again, right? It's because if you can't convince your CISO or CIO or whoever who's got the budget to buy it because you can't articulate the value, then then it's not going to go anywhere, anyways, right? And that's that's why I do believe that there is a strong tie between what the product can do, feature functionality, to the value it provides to whoever is buying it. And um, sometimes you have to, um, you know, do some things a little differently with your with your marketing yeah. campaigns or even your roadmaps to to make that work. So. How is it that you are getting the information that you need to to figure out um, if you're really solving a problem for somebody? Are, are you guys uh, in the past? Are you going out and doing um, you know interviews with customers? Are you um, uh, are you doing this sort of in a bubble where it's like, oh, I, I know this is going to solve a problem. Let's go build it, and then you know you turn around and you know maybe it does or maybe it doesn't. Uh, so it depends on the stage of the company, yeah. right? In the early days, it's all internal. It's like I got this great idea. I know what I want it to do. I think it solves a problem without much customer validation. And then over time, you find out it does or it doesn't, right? In more mature companies who have been established for a while, uh, it's easier to then go out to the customer base and validate certain things, right? And and that's important because you, you have to keep your customer base happy from a recurring revenue um, renewal perspective, but you also have to go capture new customers, prospects. So I always like to go out and talk to partners, mm-hmm. our resale partners, uh, MSSP partners. What are their customers asking them to do? They were a great source of data from potential prospects because I couldn't focus 100% on on customers. If I did, I'd build like a really high scale vulnerability scanner that did zero false positive detection but maybe didn't solve the other problems that people needed, right? Um, So partners were a great source of that. Uh, When I was at Tenable, we had a a fantastic uh, research team. And so that team tracked hundreds. I think we were just under 300 companies that we tracked in the adjacent spaces. So we understood our competition really, really well. We understood the competition in all the adjacency markets we may or may not want to enter and what their message, what their value proposition were. So that if we wanted to go there, we already had an idea of some of the things we were going to have to do to compete in that market. Um, so there were other sources besides just customer interviews. But customer uh, interviews were an important part of, of what we do, uh, what we did, and, and what Tenable still does to this day. Um, but there was always a research kind of market trend and, and kind of prospect partner analysis that needed to be part of that, that broader vision. Yeah, I'd like to explore that a little bit more. So you, you're obviously you're not attainable anymore. You're doing some stuff on your own for the time being. Um, but you, I'm sure you still have to stay on top of, uh, of the market of trends, oh, yeah. of you know, uh, you know, where things are going. What are some areas that you're seeing now that are either um, up-and-coming areas or um, areas that maybe are ripe for disruption for someone to come in and disrupt? Yeah, so um, there's there's a number of them. And, and, you know, my inbox is inundated every day, even though I'm, you know, doing my own thing. I'm, I'm still reading, you know, a dozen articles a day of, of stuff that's coming in. Markets that I like that are starting to pick up pace, I have for a while, 
you know, I've been a big believer that the device vulnerability is shifting to the application. So I've been a big proponent of application security, the um, containers and microservices, these like new applications. There's a lot of interesting technology and, and startups coming into that space really to solve application security for the next gen application. Applications aren't going to look like a big RPM or tarball anymore, right? right. They're going to be built in the cloud. They're going to be built with Docker containers, highly microservices with all this underlying API communication. And the way you protect that's very different than the way we used to protect applications in the past. So you're going to see companies like Stackrocks and, and Banyan Ops and uh, others that are going to uh, Twistlock, et cetera, continue to grow and gain some share as these new applications really take hold um, in the corporate environments and, and continue to move forward. So I really like that space. Been tracking that for a long, long time. I'm a, I, I, the other space I really, really like is uh, security orchestration and automation. Yeah. I do not think we can solve this with bodies. I don't think there's enough cybersecurity resources to handle this stuff. You know, we still see detection times over 200 days and we see patches that can't be applied and in less than 90 days. I mean, some level of orchestration and automation is, I think, the only way we're going to be able to shrink dwell times, uh, shrink time to respond, which we're going to need to do to fight things like WannaCry and other things. I mean, if, WannaCry is a perfect example, I, I, I think, right? We knew two months in advance it was a critical vulnerability. But it missed most people's patching windows if you're right. on a 90 day patch. And so you were susceptible to that. If you could shrink that window through orchestration and automation, most companies would not have been susceptible to the WannaCry ransomware. It, to me, it's, a, it's how do you speed up aspects of the operational side in a way. So I like the SOA space. You know, you've got Phantom, um, Cyberspawns, and others that are doing that swim lane, that. swim lane locally. Yep. Uh, you have Automox up in Boulder that I've been doing some work with that uh, is all on the patching and the configuration side. It, you know, I, it, it's just interesting. People struggle just doing basic patch management, right? Yep. So the ability to put some workflows and some automation into patching, there's a huge value play there for customers. So they're up in Boulder. I really like what they're doing. Um, so I like that space. Um, I think it needs more trust, right? So we have to learn to trust these systems. We're going to have to allow humans to kind of step into the process and, and do some approvals. But over time, as we build trust, the ability to auto-apply and auto-protect systems, I think, is the future if we're going to continue to keep up with the hackers in an environment where we don't have a lot of cybersecurity resources. So those are two spaces I, I absolutely love. Disruption-wise, there is some... I, I've, I've always said the firewall market's been right for disruption for a long time because the perimeter is vanishing. Right. Right. As you move stuff to the cloud... What do you need a firewall to protect anymore if all your data is up in the cloud? And Amazon's providing WAF and firewall services there. So firewall, the firewall market to me has always been in this, is, is kind of at the precipice of a, of a major disruption. Um, we'll see when it actually happens. But is the trend to cloud and mobile continue? The perimeter just, it vanishes. And I don't see how you need a firewall when there's no perimeter anymore. Anyways. Um, 
the uh, that you know then there's other spaces right you, you see even in the vulnerability management space you're start, starting to see this uptick of what's called threat and vulnerability management vendors the guys that are taking the data from the VM vendors putting analytics and on top of it and trying to provide some higher level analytics and prioritization um, could they disrupt maybe I don't know um, I know all the VM players are obviously looking at them like what does that do? Um, those are some of the markets. You know, those the markets that have been around for a while, right? Everybody's got a firewall budget. Everyone's right. got a VM budget. Anytime you see that, there's a potential for disruption in those markets because people are going to try to find a different or better way to address aspects of that and try to pull that TAM into their core market. So things, you know, Tanium's doing aspects of this with, you know, introducing... Uh, security capabilities on on their agent, right? Will they disrupt some of the core um, VM and configuration guys? Maybe. Um, ServiceNow has an interesting opportunity to disrupt from the CMDB asset inventory side to say, can they do aspects of this in a much more centralized way? I mean, yeah. there 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 are plays out there that potentially have. Potential impact. The, the ServiceNow one or other vendors like that are, are really interesting to me because if they if they can do it right, they're are gonna gonna have the the baseline of the information that you need to do this work because you need um, the asset data, right? right? And, and so and, who's and, the better source right. of asset data than the CMDBs and ServiceNow being one of the big ones? Right, has an interesting opportunity to potentially disrupt other markets adjacent to the core asset data. Yeah, uh, I wonder what your thought is on um, one of the things that people keep saying is going to be a disruptor, which is um, you know artificial intelligence or um, you know you, there's subsets of that, whether it's machine learning or I, I don't know that there's really any you know quote broad artificial intelligence at, at this point, even though people keep saying that. Yeah. Um, but it, is that something that really is going to be a disruptor? Is it a just marketing term? Is it What's your feelings on, on AI? Today, it's a marketing term. Everybody throws it around. Anton Shabakin uh, posted on Twitter, I think yesterday. You know, whenever I hear a vendor say AI, I have to ask them what they actually do because everybody uses the term. Right. Uh, they're using AI or ML or some v version of it. Um, so I think there's a lot of hype around artificial intelligence and machine learning and what it can do, but you're actually starting to see some companies start to use it in a way that's interesting. Um, and where I think AI comes into play longer term in the security space is the ability to predict potential attacks and therefore tightly coupled with security orchestration and automation, the ability to actually preventively protect a device or an application before the attack actually is available. Yeah. That's where I see the future of AI in the security space is that you see, we see a new vulnerability released and an AI model says there's a 95% probability this is going to be an exploit. Then you know that I should patch that vulnerability before I patch all the other ones because has a high probability of exploit, right? So that's where I think AI and, and all this advanced analytics stuff can eventually come into play. How many are actually doing it in production today? I'm not sure. Um, it's definitely a lot of marketing hype behind it, but I know there are um, some very good companies out there working on some really cool stuff. 
yeah. on the predictive side. And that's where I think it's best use cases for us. So uh, back slightly, we mentioned a couple of Colorado companies, um, uh, Autobox. Autobox, yeah. And, uh, and Swimlane. Uh, you know, we have a fairly vibrant startup community here in Colorado. Um, are there other startups that you see, or, or even just, I don't even know if you want to say they're not startups anymore, any other security companies in Colorado um, that you see as being particularly interesting, or um, maybe folks that are, you know, maybe need a kick in the butt it, that are here, here in Colorado? Well, so um, the other big one here locally is CyberGRX, who yeah. just took a Series B a month or two ago. You know, they're really trying to build out the third-party vendor management sharing aspect of of what the old shared assessment program tried to do. I mean, I was doing this back in 2003, 2004, National City Bank. It's always been the nirvana that the banks and the service providers share data and, and really get a better way to manage risk more centrally. CyberGRX is trying to do it here in Denver. Um, so I, I, I definitely watch Fred and the team and, and what they're doing. I, I, I think there's an opportunity there. Um, we've got Red Canaries down here in the tech center here somewhere close. Oh, they're downtown, actually. Oh, they're downtown. Yeah. Um, I don't know much about them. I mean, I've, I've, I tracked them for a little bit, um, but I haven't seen what they've been doing lately. Um, there's some stuff starting to pop up out of Boulder again, so you're starting to see the community pick up. And then you've got some of the old traditionals, right? You've got Coal Fire, you have Log Rhythm, you have WebRoot. What are those, I, you know, I, I guess what's the future of, of some of those guys look like? It's always right. interesting, right? Um, you know, Logarithm's done pretty well in the sim market, but what's the next step for them? You know, WebRoot's been really good on the consumer side. What's the next steps for them? Coal Fire, PCI, and, and some of their strategic services. But again, you know, what's the longevity? What's the next kind of thing for them? I think is always an interesting thing. Obviously, Optiv, based here in, in Denver, you know, the Acumont Fishnet stuff. You know, I was I was at Acumont for a number of years, yeah. and so I always tracked those guys. And you know, there's been some interesting hires over there. You know, Dave Castagnola from RSA went over to to run global sales for them. So, kind of watching what they're going to do. You know, do they do more than just their traditional resell? Some of their MSSP and their services. Or are they going to do some other stuff? You know, with like Avantix and stuff, they're they're offering right. some they, third parties. Right. They have some yeah some third yeah. party risk. Sort stuff of product in yeah in there which, which so is so will they sort do of more of that yeah. yeah you know they're always fun to watch I feel like they're sort of in a in a transition period trying to figure out exactly what they want to be when they grow up they're they're big enough that they can do stuff right but it's all right do we want to do we want to move more towards services do we want to move more towards right do they product? really double down into the managed services side right more than they have I mean they've got an offering but do they go bigger there. Do they do more like they were doing with Avantix, which is kind of a product and a service a little bit together, but that's more on the product side for them? Um, or do they just stay with the traditional resell and, and services offering, which, you know, that to me, that, that business gets harder and harder to grow, right? Because, you know, you got to keep selling yep. services and bodies and, and software and hardware to continue to keep that momentum where, you know, Recurring revenue streams like managed services or even product, you know, that it helps the the monthly recurring revenue streams a little differently than a product resale. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Um, are there any other local companies that people may not know of 
um, that that are worth a look. I know we mentioned Automox earlier, which is one that I've I'm familiar with a little bit because of you mostly. Yeah. Uh, but I'm sure that uh, many people probably haven't heard of. You know, we've talked about most of the other ones that we mentioned on the show. Previously. Yeah. Um, no, not off the top of my head. Um, I'm still recovering from vacation, <laughs> so I'm still trying to get back in the swing. I got, you know, we got home Wednesday, early Wednesday morning, so I'm still trying to think about who else is, I was trying to think about who's down, Dome 9 is down in the springs, but I'm, you know, the the corporate's there, but some of their other stuff's I think out of D.C. or something, but I haven't seen much with them lately. I'm trying to think who else is, anybody else down in the springs that nobody knows about now most of it's up in boulder right now that i'm seeing yeah and that's that's the springs has always been an interesting enigma to me too it's uh you've got so much security capability down there but it you know it's all government focused it's all gov yeah it's fed gov so, so you see less of the i think sort of the startup mentality and people come out coming out of it that way because you know it, it's obviously a much uh, more controlled environment to be a government contractor as opposed to being, uh, you know, private sector. Right. Well, we see the same thing out of D.C., out of the Beltway, too. I mean, you see a lot of those tech companies just focusing their stuff yeah. right back into the federal government. There's a ton of engineering talent there, like there is down in the Springs, but it's all focused more on Fed than it is on yeah. startup and commercial stuff. Yeah. It is interesting, though, that you know you do get a lot of startups that come out of those folks in the D.C. area that's... I'm tired of running the government stuff. Let, let me go do my own thing. Yeah. Um, so I guess maybe I am a little surprised that we don't see as much of that down in, in the Colorado Springs. Springs. Yeah. But there's good talent down there. So you don't see much uh, kind of startup stuff coming out of there. Yeah. Maybe just more uh, career government lifers down there. They're not, not interested in, in taking a chance. Who knows? Maybe. Um, so, so what? I guess what's next for you? You know, you've got some, uh, it sounds like some consulting work going on. Um, are you looking to to get back into uh, being in a product company? Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, it, like I said, for a long time I didn't realize I was in product management, right? And um, But I am. And yeah, so I'm trying to find that next home, right? What's the next place to go? The interesting thing for me is I can go a couple different directions, which is the kind of the weird part for me, right? Because I've done a lot on the product strategy side, but I've also done a lot on the marketing messaging side of the house. And, you know, I'm not quite sure what that next position looks like. Is it staying on the product side or is it kind of expanding more of my marketing side and spending more time? I, I enjoy being outbound. I have for a long time. I like yeah. going out and talking to people. You know, I've done a lot of uh, keynotes overseas in, in at RSA Singapore and Abu Dhabi, couple years ago in the US um, so I like to get out and tell that story so I like the outbound side which is more on the marketing side of the house than it is on the product side which is more inbound focused but yeah both either one of those is kind of where I'll probably land the question is will it be with a local company right or will it be back to the East Coast or West Coast again which is where the majority of the opportunities are I think right now for me but uh, yeah, it would be nice to stay in Colorado. I just I don't know if I'll find the next home in Colorado or not yet. Yeah, being that you you haven't worked in state in a long time, how how much are you on the road? Do you? Oh uh, yeah, the last few years a lot. You know, um, 
I, 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 I think it was 312,000 miles in the air last year, right? So yeah, I, I was covering the world for Tenable between uh, Europe, Middle East, and Asia on multiple trips and then back and forth between here and Baltimore. I racked up a, a yeah. good amount of miles last year, which doesn't, that doesn't bother me at all. Um, it's, you know, finding the right opportunity where that, that's fun to do. It right. was fun. It, you know, I enjoyed doing that kind of stuff at Tenable. And, you know, Ron really gave me the opportunity to do it. You know, when I did the first one um, and the second one came along, I'm like, Ron, if you want to go do it, do it. He's like, no, 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 you do it. And I, I okay. So I kept doing it. And yeah. that was a lot of fun building, you know, building out those messages and those stories and those keynote presentations. I enjoy doing that. Um, but I also like building product because down, deep down inside, I'm still a, I'm an engineer. I'm still that techie guy um, deep down inside. So I like to build product too. So it's it's an interesting balance for me of trying to find that right fit. Yeah, for sure. So um, I know in addition to uh, doing this interview today, you do, um, I'll say, a fair amount of other podcasts too. You've been involved with the, the Security Weekly crew um, a bit lately. What's that been like? Uh, it's fun. You know, so Paul Asadorian used to work on my team. Yeah. So we had the that research team. And when I got there, we kind of built out the team. And Melinda Marks, who's over at StackRocks now running marketing, ran that team. And Paul worked for her. And, and so I always enjoyed going to do the tenable stuff for Paul. And so when I left, Paul's like, I got to get you on the show. I want to interview you on Startup Security Weekly. They asked me to co-host a couple weeks ago. Um, I was asked to co-host last night, but I couldn't. Um, I enjoy it because it's so much fun to interact with those guys. I mean, you've got Jack Daniel, uh, Jeff Mann, you know, who used to be at Tenable, Paul, uh, Michael, John Strand, um, and stuff. So there's a really good core group of guys, and it's always fun to get on and like compare notes and talk about the latest stuff. Like, was that a good investment or not a good investment, right? So you can have these very interesting conversations um, with guys that are just experts in the market, right? We can kind of debate, you know, the market and what's good and what's bad. And it, it, it gives you an outlet to, to share some of that stuff more openly. So I've enjoyed that, um, you know, and, and Paul's a good friend. So it's, it's always fun to be able to do some of that stuff. Yeah, I mean, it, most of those guys have been around for a long time. Oh, yeah. Lots and lots of knowledge. Uh, so I'm sure that's been fun too. Oh yeah, yeah, it's fun. You know, when I did when I co-hosted a, a few weeks back before I left on vacation, um, I, I sent um, Michael uh, Sarcantangelo. Uh, I said, "Hey, by the way, here's all the news articles I think we should cover today." And I sent them to him. He goes, "This is great." He goes, "Paul never prepares like this." <laughs> <laughs> he goes, "We're gonna have fun today," and uh, most of the stories we, we had kind of overlap because I track so much of the market. Yeah every day so you know I thought I was going to host last night on on the regular Paul Security Weekly and so I got home from vacation and I'm like I'm writing down all the stories I want to cover you know because you know Semantics made two acquisitions in the last yeah. two weeks right I mean they're on they're they're out acquiring products to fill pieces in the portfolio and they, they, you know there's lots were, of holes to fill yeah and yeah and, and and you know there were a couple good interesting funding rounds in the last week and I'm like you know, so I see this stuff every single day come across my inbox because I do want to understand what's going on in the broader market. So 
it really helps when you're on one of those shows or a podcast. You can act, you, you know what's going on. You're yeah. current with all the news that's going on. Where sometimes people in in the vendor community, you know, they're they're so busy day to day building their product, they're not necessarily looking at what's going on in the rest of the industry. They don't have the time. We had the luxury at Tenable to have that team that could look broad and really track those companies. So we had a really good idea of the competition and, and the funding and kind of the new and upcoming technologies that we wanted to look at. Um, and so I haven't lost any of that. I still, even though I'm you know, doing some side consulting and interviewing and doing others, I'm still tracking all that same stuff I was tracking before. Well, I, I find that the, the podcast stuff too, it helps you really make sure you understand the stories and things like that. You know, a lot of times I'll see, you know, I track a lot of news and, and everything else myself, but it's, you know, you'll see a headline, and you'll maybe read a little bit, skim, whatever, and you're like, All right, I think, okay, that, I'm not interested in that or, you right. know, whatever. But, you know, if you're going to actually talk about it on a show, you have to understand what you're actually talking about. You, you can't just have a surface level knowledge. You have to, you know, be able to talk to it. So it Yeah, and you got to understand your fifth, right, yeah, and you got to, Dig in and do a little more research. You might read a couple articles. You might wait a day or two to figure out, you know, kind of what 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 the analysts think about it, right? Because you want to see the was that a good move or not a good move. Sometimes when you see the news up front, you like scratch your head. Um, I remember when HP bought uh, Niara, right? I was like, why they they just you know divested a bunch of their security portfolio? Yeah. Why Niara? Well, because they embedded it into. Um, all the Aruba stuff to do advanced behavior stuff on the wireless networks and stuff yeah. to tie into aspects of the Aruba portfolio. But you didn't realize that until a couple days after the acquisition announcement that that's what they were planning to do with that acquisition. And then it was like, oh, well, that kind of made sense. Sure, that makes sense. <laughs> but at first, everybody was scratching their head going, why did you buy a security company when you just yeah. divested a bunch of security stuff? Anyways. Yeah. So I, we're getting close to running out of time here. Um, any other topics you wanted to cover or any closing thoughts no if anybody's listening that needs a good product or uh, strategy or marketing guy in Colorado I'm here <laughs> awesome well, we'll put your contact info in the uh, in the show notes and, and people can get a hold of you that way and uh, Matt thanks appreciate your time thank you Alex always a pleasure awesome Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado equals security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.